Take your Bibles out tonight and turn with me to Psalm 121. Can your God save? Psalm 121. Can your God save? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Father, we pray tonight that you would speak to us from your word. Lord, the Bible says that all, fle- all flesh is as grass and as the flower of the field. It grows up and withers and is soon gone. But the word of our God stands forever. And as Peter says in 1 Peter, this is the good news that was preached to you. God, we thank you for the revelation of your word. That you have left us instruction about our sinful condition, our need of a Savior. You've told us about your saving and sustaining grace. Father, we thank you for the promise in your word that we're never alone, that as we go through valleys... Just as the psalmist said here, we can have that assurance that our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Lord, thank you for the way that you care for your children. Indeed, we can cast every care on you because you care for us. Father, I pray that day to day our trust in you would only grow. We thank you for the way you've been with us in the past, for the way you'll be with us in the present. And your promise for the future. God, I pray tonight that the message would be an encouragement to somebody who needs to hear that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we all know that this can be a very tough world that we live in. Sometimes just to go through the world and make it by. And make some of the decisions we're called on to make and raise our kids and keep our job going and all of our bills paid. For some people, that's quite a chore. It's a challenge day in and day out. And you know, sometimes we just simply need to have our eyes opened to God and what God is doing around us. I think of... Elisha and his servant in the book of 2 Kings, Israel and Syria were at war with one another. And uh, you'll recall that occasion that the servant of Elisha went outside and he saw uh, Elisha's place surrounded. And the reason it was surrounded is because uh, every time the armies of Syria made a move, God told the Israelites what that move was going to be. The king of Syria thought he had a betrayer in the camp and his men said not so. 
But what you need to understand is there's a prophet in Israel and what you whisper in your bedroom, he proclaims to the people of Israel. And so the king of Israel said, well, what we're going to do is just go down and kill that prophet. We'll get rid of him. And so that's why Elisha's house was surrounded. And, and when the servant went out to see that, he was scared to death. And Elisha said to him, don't worry about that because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he looked around and didn't see anybody. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And God opened his eyes. And he saw all those chariots of the Lord surrounding them and he knew that they would be safe. Sometimes like that we just need to have our eyes opened. You see the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 that for the unbelievers the God of this world Satan has blinded the minds and the eyes of the unbeliever lest they see the glory of God in Christ and be saved. And so that veil needs to be removed. And even as children of God sometimes that veil still needs to be removed. We start looking around us and we grow fretful. And we need to be reminded of where our strength comes from. And that's what the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 121. The psalmist makes a personal and powerful declaration of where his strength lies and who is the source of his strength. He understands who the source of his strength is and we need to understand who the source of our strength is as well. First thing I want you to notice with me tonight is the believer looks up to God. He says, I, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now folks, our source of strength can never be from the world or the things in the world. And that's why he proclaims here, I lift up my eyes to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. Now there's actually two ways of interpreting these Two verses and even some of the English translations you'll notice struggle with which way to do it. First of all it could be interpreted as some do as a song of ascent. A song of ascent. And that means that as the Jewish people would travel up to the temple for special celebrations the uh, Jerusalem sat on that mountain and, and the temple sat up there. And as they traveled into the city, that's what would catch their eyes. And so if this is the right way of looking at it, then what we're being called upon to do as we look up to God is remember that we are, uh, we are to remember, that is, God's care. Travelers or pilgrims would go to Jerusalem every year. The Jews celebrated great feasts and festivals. They're celebrating one today. Today in Orthodox Judaism, today is the beginning of their new year. And so they're celebrating New, year, new Year's and, and, and they take a, a little bowl of honey and apples and they eat apples dipped in honey symbolizing that they hope that this year will be for them a sweet year. 
But we know that throughout the year the Jews had different feasts and and festivals. And so from all over the promised land they would travel up to the temple for these times of corporate celebration. And as they did so these were to be times of remembrance and times of great celebration. They were to remember the mighty acts of God in their behalf. And they were to rejoice in those and continue in a spirit of gratitude. Remember what Deuteronomy 8 said, as they got into the promised land, they were never, ever, ever to forget what God had done for them. They were never to start thinking that they could take credit for their houses and their, and their crops and their herds and all the wealth that they had. And so these times of celebration would be reminders to them to keep their focus on God. And as some of them would make the long journey in by foot or riding on animals, you would turn a corner. If you're traveling into Jerusalem, I'm told, all of a sudden from certain areas out in the countryside, you can, you can go through uh, the woods or a, or a field and, and turn a corner. And all of a sudden you see the city of Jerusalem elevated up there on a mount. And they would see the temple there. And they would be reminded. They would be reminded that God had done the impossible for them. I mean, how unlikely was it that they would even be there? They were a small nation. God reminded them that he had not chosen them because of anything special in and of of themselves. But he had set his favor on them and chosen them and they were to be a light to the nations. And God was going to give them their own land and in their own land they could be a light to everybody else around them. And God was going to do a special work in them and so God delivered them from the exodus. God went Uh, As Moses went before Pharaoh, uh, God sent all the plagues and finally Pharaoh and his people said, y'all leave and, and, and they left and they traveled throughout the wilderness and the Bible says uh, during that time in the wilderness, their shoes didn't even wear out. Wouldn't that be great? Their shoes didn't even wear out. And in the wilderness, they were provided with everything that they needed. They were provided every morning there would be that fresh supply of manna. Manna. What is it? As they looked at it. Manna. And and that's what the word really meant as as they first looked at it and didn't know what it was. And God told them to go out and collect a certain amount of that every morning. And nobody ever collected too little. They always had exactly what they needed. And if they tried to collect too much and hoard it up. It would spoil. And so each morning for their 40 years in the wilderness, God supplied them with everything that they needed. And God had been their constant companion. And God had been their helper and their source of strength. And when they started going into the promised land, the book of Joshua tells us about all those battles they fought and how they were able to drive the inhabitants out of the land and take possession. And so again, my point is, as they would go up to the city and up to the temple during these special times of the year, they would be reminded of where their help had come from. 
it had always come from God. God had always been their source of strength. And those were opportunities to remember that. Folks, periodically we need to do the same thing, don't we? We need to sit down and remember when we were saved. And where we were saved. And how we were saved. Right? We need to think about that from time to time. We need to remember how God called us out of the midst of darkness and put hope and light in our souls. We need to remember what God has done in the past and and it's an assurance that He'll be at work in our lives today because as the Bible says, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the God who saved you yesterday will not forget you today. That's Paul's point in Romans 5, isn't it? That's his progression of thought in Romans 5. If you have your Bibles, just turn there with me a minute tonight. And I want, I want you to see the progression. There in verse 6 of Romans 5, Paul says, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8 he says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now look what he began saying in verse 9. Because he's setting up an argument here. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much or much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. So you see what Paul's argument is? God saved us while we were sinners. While there was nothing desirable about us. While we were enemies of God. Nothing we could do to save ourselves. We were hopeless and helpless, and as Paul says in Ephesians 2 4, uh, or 2 2 rather, we were by nature the children of wrath, even as the others. And we were dead in trespasses and sins, and God reached into our hearts and converted us in, in, in that circumstance, redeemed us. And what Paul is saying, now that you've been redeemed, And you're a child of God. If he remembered you when you were estranged from him and an enemy and saved you, do you actually think now that you're his child, he's going to forget about you now? Of course not. Of course not. And so we need to rejoice in what God has done for us. Now, as I mentioned, there's another way of of looking at this psalm. Not as a song of ascent as you went up to Jerusalem, but some interpret it as a song of separation. Now, if this is the right way of looking at this verse, then what we're being called upon to do as we look up to God is that we're to remember God's command. God commanded his people to be separate. And so what the psalmist may be doing is looking across the landscape at his neighbors. I I want you to remember that many of those Canaanites were still in the land because they failed to drive all the inhabitants of Canaan out. 
And as he viewed the landscape of his neighbors, many of them pagan unbelievers, he would notice that many of them served false gods. And unfortunately, they drew the hearts of some of the Israelites away from the true and the living God. And what these Canaanites would do is they would go up on the hills or the mountains to the high places. They would look up to the hills for their help. Because on the high places, they would build their altars to Baal. And in their minds, Baal had a female counterpart, Asherah. And it was, Canaanite religion was a very perverted, sexually motivated cult. And they believed that when Baal and Asherah had relations together, this is where the fertility, this is where the rain and, and the sunshine and all the fertility of the land came from. And so what the Canaanites would do is, is they would have temple prostitutes. Male and female, and they would go up to the high places and they would engage in these perverted acts and they would think that as they did that, Baal and Ashtaroth would look down and, and, and then they themselves would be engaged in sexual activity and the land would have fertility. Now that's some of the junk that the Canaanites were wrapped up in. That was their religion. That was their religion. And all around Israel there were still Canaanites in the land who practiced this. You'll remember the showdown that Elijah had in 1 Kings 18 with the prophets of Baal. Ahab and Jezebel had brought Baalism into the land uh, more so than anybody before them. I mean, Jezebel had pretty much made Baalism the national religion of the Jews, believe it or not. And how tragic that the Israelites had wandered into that and become like their neighbors. And so Elijah has a meet. God, God sends famine on the land and then after three years, the famine and the drought... God appears again to Elijah and says, go present yourself to Ahab. I'm going to bring uh, rain on the land and so forth. And, and you'll remember though uh, uh, around that, uh, that time how he challenged the prophets of Baal. He said, let's go up there on Carmel and, and the God who answers by fire, he's God. And the prophets of Baal said, sounds good to us. And so he said, you make your sacrifice first and call on the name of your God. And then I'll make my sacrifice and call on the name of God and the God who answers by fire he's God and the, the people in Baalism went first the prophets of Baal and of course Baal's no God he's just a false idol and so there was no answer and, and Elijah just kind of laughed hey maybe, maybe he's taking a nap maybe you need to call out a little bit louder and he laughed at him well, the psalmist is saying, am I going to do like my neighbors? Am I going to look up to the hills for my strength, for my wisdom, for my guidance? And he answers his question, no. 
No. My help, verse 2 says, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm not going to look to the mountains. I'm not going to look to the altars of Baal. I'm not going to trust in false gods. I'm not going to trust in what others are trusting in. From whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. He's my deliverer. Where do you place your trust? Can your God save? Well, he can if we're talking about Jehovah God because he made the world. Look at what he says there in in verse 2, the second part of it. Who made heaven and earth. He made more than this world. He made heaven and earth. The gods of this age can't help. Baal couldn't help them. Folks, if we trust in the gods of this world and the things of this world to help us, we might as well be calling out into the darkness. But what did God do? Well, Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was what? There was light. And six days of creation God created. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That's what Jehovah God can do. Do you need strength? Do you need guidance? Do you need help? He's the one that can help you. As Hebrews 7.25 says, He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. And so like the psalmist, what we need to do is open our eyes and not look to the world at what everybody else is trusting in, but we need to look up to God and trust Him. We're good at talking about that, but do we do it? Reminds me of the guy walking through the wilderness, came to the edge of the cliff. He fell over. The rocks gave loose under his feet. He fell over as he was, as he was soaring down through midair. He was, he was reaching for something and he caught a vine. And he was hanging on and he was getting tired. And he looked up and he said, oh God, will you help me? And God said, yes, I'll help you. Come help me now. Okay, let go of the vine. You want me to do what? Let go of the vine. But I can't do that. Didn't you say you wanted my help? Yes, let go of the vine. I will catch you. And the man looked up. And he said, is there anybody else up there that can help? We need to trust God. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Again, might be a statement. 
saying, I'll reflect on him as I go up to Jerusalem and I see the mountain there, Jerusalem on the, on the mountain and the temple. I'll remember all the great things God has done for me and I'll know that he's always been my helper. Or will I lift up my eyes to the hills like my pagan neighbors? No, my help comes from the Lord. Second point I want you to notice, God looks out for the believer. God looks out for the believer. The believer looks up to God, but secondly, I want you to see God looks out for the believer. Beginning there in verse 3, God not only made us and saves us, but he's able to sustain us. In verse 3, he points out that he will give you the right foundation. He says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He'll not let your foot slip. This world is such an uncertain place. No firm foundation here. And that's why John says in 1 John 2, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. The world is not a firm foundation. It can't be. But you know, some people are living for this world as though it'll always be here. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And so Peter goes on to say there in verse 13, But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I feel sorry for those that all they've got is the world. That's all they've got to trust in. What a shaky foundation that is. And it's a foundation that's always going to disappoint them. But the Bible says God will not change. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He's not a moving target. James says in James 1.17, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He's not a shifting shadow. He's an everlasting rock. And so if you build your life on him, you've got a firm foundation. And he says here, he will not let your foot be moved. He also mentions something else here. He'll be your best friend. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. He who keeps you does not slumber. You've heard the saying before, out of sight, out of mind. Well, God's children are never out of his sight, never out of his mind. Folks, the reason you can go to sleep at night is because he doesn't. 
Back in the days of World War II when the Germans were bombing London all night, night after night, the citizens got together one morning to collect the dead and they began looking for an old woman and they looked all over for her and they finally found her sleeping. And somebody asked her, ma'am, how can you sleep? She said, well, the Bible says that he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. So I figured there was no need for both of us to stay up all night. So I went to bed. <laughs> that reminds me of Alexander the Great when somebody asked him how he could sleep. While so much danger was going on around him, he replied that Parmenio, his faithful bodyguard, was watching him. Well, we've got somebody better than Parmenia. He says here, he'll be your keeper six times. He talks about this, speaks of watch care. As your friend, he's your guardian. He says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The, the, the heat bears down on us. That is, we face hardships in the world. But it's the Lord who gives relief. Like I said of John this morning. The Apostle John, he may not spare us from the trials, but he'll bring us uh, through the trials and he'll give us relief. He protects us from the enemy. That's the significance of being our shade at our right hand. You see, in battle, a soldier had a, a shield in his left hand and his sword in his right hand. Now with his shield in his left hand, that was his defense. And so that side of his body was protected. Even though his, his sword was his offensive weapon, nonetheless, as he's engaged in battle and, he, and he's uh, working that sword with his right hand, the right side of his body could be exposed to attack. But he says here, the Lord is your shade on your right hand at your most vulnerable spot the Lord can protect you and so he says as your friend you need not fear either day nor night and that's what he means here by by the sun the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night we don't have to fear during the daytime and we don't have to fear at night Paul Harvey tells a story, another World War II story, a true incident. He tells about a B-29 bomber that took off from the island of Guam for Kokura, Japan. They were on a bombing mission. And when it got to its primary target, it circled around, circled and circled above a, a gigantic cloud that had moved in between the bomber and the target. The plane kept circling around, waiting on the cloud to move uh, or to dissipate. It never did. Well, being low on fuel, they had to give up hitting their primary target. And so they moved to their secondary target. Their secondary target was Nagasaki. They dropped the bomb on Nagasaki and it was destroyed. Later on, one of the officers in command of the mission learned a piece of military intelligence that came in that nobody knew about at the time. And he said it sent chills running up and down his spine. Just before the attempted bombing on their primary target, Kakura, thousands of allied prisoners of war and the biggest concentration ever of American prisoners had been moved into Kakura. 
And so that had they bombed that city, all of those Allied prisoners and all of the American prisoners would have been killed. Now I know that story probably troubles some. Why did God protect some and not others? All I can say is there must have been some praying saints among those prisoners. And God was watching over his children. Well, not only will God protect, but God will preserve you. Look at verse 8. He says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now, folks, if you don't believe in the security of the believer, you're going to have problems with verse 8 here. Because he says he'll guard our going in and our coming out forever. Now to me forever sounds a lot like forever. (laughs) And it reminds us of what Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The believer looks up to God and God looks out for the believer. Is that the relationship you have with him? Can your God deliver? Can your God save? Would you bow your heads with me tonight? And as you do so, I want to ask you, have you experienced the love of God personally? Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? If you don't, come to him today. Then you can say, will I trust what others trust? No. Where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that in your life? Is it time you stop trusting in some of the things you're trusting in? Some of the things you're trusting in that if you keep trusting in that, They will let you down. If you're trusting in anything other than the Lord, it will not be able to save. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart over the past couple of weeks. Drawing you to faith in Christ. I know we're a Sunday night crowd, but I'm not going to assume that everybody's a, a Christian. Maybe tonight you'd like to say, God, I truly want to be able to say from the heart, my help comes from the Lord. I'm tired of living life my way. I'm tired of trusting in things in the world. I'm tired of trusting in other people. I'm tired of trusting in in." My job or money or whatever. I want Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords on the throne of my heart. Ask him right now to convert your soul to save you. To set up his dwelling place in your heart. And to never leave you or forsake you. If you really mean it, 
and you're ready to transfer trust away from things of the world or yourself and put all your trust in Him, He'll save you. He'll be true to His promise. Christian, are you weak? Are you struggling? Have you lost hope in the world? Remember, God's able to come to your aid. He made the heavens and the earth. He can give you that foundation that you need. He can give you peace in the midst of the storm. He never slumbers so that you can. Can your God save? He can if He's the God of the Bible. Are you going through a tough time in your life at this time perhaps? Maybe you sense Satan nipping at your heels. The Lord can not only save and give you strength, but He can also protect you. He can watch your coming and your going. But you've got to be like the man who needed to let go of the vine. You need to trust Him. Father, we thank you for the promise in this psalm. And and the reminder that we have here for the people of God. That our God reigns. He reigns supreme. And all the gods of the nations are nothing. They're just idols. And they're destined to disappoint. But Jesus Christ saves. And as Paul says in Romans 5, there will never be anyone who will be disappointed by placing their faith in Him. But Lord, as we walk through this world, help us not to begin trusting in the things of this world. But day to day, to live by faith. The Bible says the just will live by faith. Help us to trust you. Lord, be the shade at our right hand and watch over us. Speak to your people tonight according to their deepest need. In Jesus' name we pray.